Welcome to SMSF Mate, our general advice warning. We are required to warn you that any advice has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial situations or needs. And because of that, you should, before acting on any advice, consider the appropriateness of the advice having regard to your own objectives, financial services and needs. Where the advice relates to the acquisition or possible acquisition of a particular financial product, you should obtain a product disclosure statement relating to that product and consider the PDS before making any decision about whether to acquire the product. All right, welcome back to SMSF Mates podcast. Today we are going to give a general sort of overview and discussion and chinwag around SMSFs in general, sort of talk about some advantages, disadvantages, you know, things you may not be aware of or things you might not have thought about. And of course, as always, if you like our content, uh, please subscribe, like us, follow us, do all the good things so that we can do more of this. And if you are interested in joining us uh, on this podcast, then please get in touch with us uh, via our website. That would be wonderful. We're always looking for uh, new, new, new fruit. Is that is that the word? New fruit. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, uh, with me today we have Sonny. Hello, Sonny here. And Tim. And Ashwin uh, with a croaky voice. Hey guys, hey guys. <laughs> self manage super fund. Point being, self manage your super fund. <laughs> yeah, look, it, it, it is sort of a simplicity, sort of outlining Gareth, but it's just a vehicle. So it's one of the one of the one of the ways you can um, have your super um, invested while you're working or voluntary contributions if you're self employed. Um, it, it's just basically how you can choose to invest your money. So, you know, the normal way most of us have all started out, I would assume, is, you know, you start your first job and you elect a super fund and, and they basically invest and manage uh, your investments. Uh, a self-managed super fund is just another vehicle for your super funds to invest through. So, but it is exactly as Gareth said, it's those first two words, it's self, self-managed and it comes with its own complexities, its own costs, its own... Uh, negatives and positives which we'll go through today i guess and actually it's probably a good time to run through the different types of structures of superannuation so yeah you mentioned earlier that uh, when you're first employed you probably have a, a default fund of the employer or a, a choice fund yeah They're typically so, a, a retail fund exactly so for, for me when i first said i worked for Maya. Uh, and I, I joined the normal. Actually, it was an industry fund for me. Uh, it was the first one I was I was part of. Um, um, so there's, there's industry funds, there's uh, managed funds, and, and most people when they start their first jobs don't know uh, the in between. So we just elect for uh, the choice, which is the one your employer has as a default fund for you. Um, but I think I think um, that sort of changed of late from my my gathering. A lot of uh, young people are more. More interested around their super to an extent in their initial starts, and uh, they, they'll look into stuff. And there's they can look at there's a lot more tools to, to work out where where the funds are and, and what you can invest in. And you know those are those are things for people to explore at. So I think don't don't uh, do the normal 16 year old thing and just uh, tick the first box or can't be bothered and, and move on. You probably spend some time researching it because there's a there's a big uh, there's a big Cool that you know. I, I probably stay in that fund a, a bit longer than I probably should have um, for myself because I didn't really look at it till um, till later in life. So. And Ashwin, what did you mean by retail? What 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 do you mean by retail? You're not not talking so about re- clothes shops, right? No, no. So a retail fund is, is probably managed by uh, one of the fund managers. So you know, um, I'll 
going to try not to name them online, but um, yeah, that there's, there's those those managed advisors that manage those funds or portfolios, and um, then there's the industry ones that have their own industry. So uh, like, like main, mainstream there. rather than sort of like a boutique yeah, investment. Yeah, public and public. retail offering. Yeah, yeah pu- public retail offering um, is, is the most common side, and then you've got the uh, industry funds with the with the hand symbol that I can't demonstrate because I'm on the phone uh, for, for our viewers. Uh, but yeah, um, that, that's probably the, the two main funds out there and then self-managed uh, super funds uh, are probably uh, there as well. And, uh, and there's also the one, uh, the funds you can have managed by um, by an advisor um, investing in, in various um, investments for you through a wrap account or through, through, through their side of things. Which can also be uh, referred to as a personal retail super account. Personal retail fund, yeah. The um, I guess just coming back to one of your comments, Ashwin, with those early default investment options within either default super funds or um, selected ones, industry or otherwise, um, it's something that I, we would always encourage people to have a look at. A lot of people tick a box when they're <laughs> seven, 16, 17 when they first start yeah. work, and we've seen cases yep. where people haven't looked at that uh, investment option until they're... Uh, sometimes early oh, 50s. My, so they've yeah, been stuck yeah. in the same predefined right. option um, for the entirety yep. of their super. And I think that that just speaks to, I guess, some people's thoughts and views on superannuation itself. Mm. Um, and it's good to see there's probably a lot more interaction and engagement from you know the next generations around what their superannuation is. And there's more <sighs> of an understanding that, to Ashwin's earlier point, it is just a vehicle. You know, it's a, it's a vehicle where you can... Um, accumulate, consolidate some funds in a tax-effective manner. Um, mm. It's just that yep. you can't get to it for a period of time, i.e., you know, your retirement or another condition of release. I think the other interesting thing that you've just sort of, you know, pointed out is your standard human starts uh, as, as a 16-year-old as a, as a job and an employee and they get almost forced, well, re- required to have a super fund. Uh, I was a self-employed 18-year-old and my understanding, if this is right or wrong, <laughs> feel free to correct me, was that you didn't actually need a super fund. You know, you could no, be a, no. you could be a single um, business operator or sole trader or whatever. And you know, at that at that age, you think, oh well, you know, why do I want to put my money in something else that I don't need, can't can't do anything with for fifty years? So, it's an interesting thought. Is maybe people who are self-employed or sole traders or whatever, <coughs> you know, you probably do need. To think about your super when you start your business, you know, and start putting that yeah. money away like you would if you're an employee. A lot, a lot of business owners in their early days, uh, you know, opt um, opt out of putting super in there um, under their you know sole trader structures um, because they don't they're not compelled to. But then you know it comes and cash out is the, king at the probably, time. Yeah. yeah, cash is king, and, and, and look, it might make sense that you know the first two years of your business if it's important for growth, but. Um, I wouldn't leave it any longer than that because the long-term cost to you is, is substantial as a result of not doing it. And, and business owners sometimes also get caught up thinking their retirement plan is selling their business. But then if that doesn't happen or it's devalued or the market conditions change, all of a sudden you're taking a pretty big risk by not putting money into super. So it would always make sense to do it. If your business is doing pretty well, you know, there's obviously the tax advantages of a lower tax rate of money being in super and, and then growing and, and investing and diversifying. So people get caught up thinking, yeah, it's not for me now because it's later, but then later comes around pretty quick. Um, and, um, you know, it's fine as a 16-year-old to tick a box and not think twice about it, but um, once you turn 18 and, and everything else, it starts to change and 
you know, there's plenty of people that also forget to update their their binding death nominations um, or their you know the beneficiaries of you know, of their super fund in case you know something goes wrong there. Well, you know, nothing comes with consequence, but you know, there's, there's there's insurance policies there with you know significant amounts of money that have tax consequences if you don't put the right people down or you know. If you forget to update it when you've changed partners or, or life changes have happened, you know technically that those those um, those things can go through. So I suppose the only other fund we sort of missed out on was government funds, and but you know government employees will be aware of those funds because it's um, generally um, your main fund you can put your money into unless um, they've opened it up to a choice operation in there. Um, in the so does all that, Ashwin? Does that all apply if you're a self-managed super fund trustee, or is that apply generally? No, for yeah, no, that, that, those rules around uh, you know nominations for your, your death benefits and all those things, but they apply in all funds, um, and, and it's up to filling out those forms, um, or you know getting them reviewed on a regular basis to make sure they're up to date. Um, and yeah, you know, most most accountants or financial advisors would be presenting clients um, with that, um, but you know it's. it's, it's Again, it's self-managed, so it's up to the client to update those details um, with with the um, advisors, um, and they can provide the forms for those things to be executed. Cool. I guess we we chat quickly around the the structure itself. The self-managed super fund is a trust structure, which, to your point, has a trustee. Mm. Gareth, if you think about the retail or the industry funds. They're, they're typically in a similar structure. It's just they have a professional trustee in place. They've got some other governments, um, you know, structures around them and professional investment managers who are managing the money. All typically are within right. in-house and part of that operational entity. When you talk about a self-managed super fund, um, it is your super fund as an individual yeah. that you will structure, that you'll need an accountant to establish the trust structure itself. Um, you as an individual or in a particular structure through um, a company will be the trustees and responsible for the management and administration of that fund and ultimately responsible for the investment strategy. Right. So um, it is very much self-managed and that responsibility comes back to the individual. However, um, it doesn't mean it doesn't need to mean independently managed. Um, you yes. know, there's a lot of self-managed super funds that use um, you know the expertise of other service providers like accountants and um, financial advisors to assist within the actual running and management of their self-managed super fund. Right. Um, there's just some broader benefits of the structure itself. Um, it's <coughs> and it doesn't necessarily need to centre around a control or a hundred percent control piece. It's it also um, provides some accessibility to investments that you can't get to within retail right. or industry. So if I want to buy, say, a public stock, you know, like a mainstream bank in my super fund, do I need yep. a self-managed super fund to do that? Uh, not necessarily, uh, Gareth. Like, um, there are um, some industry funds and, and even uh, some uh, industry funds that will let you um, buy direct um, shares on the ASX. So if, right. if that's one of the banks that's listed, then yes, you most likely can buy it through uh, an industry fund. Their you know their own options or their DIY options, where you still have a, a default portfolio um, for portion of your um, super, and then you can invest a certain amount in direct um, equities as long as it's approved on their um, on their investment thing. So you, you obviously. 
look at each fund and see what you can do. You can obviously do it with um, some other managed funds as well. So it's, it's so the short answer is is kind of no. Yes. I don't need a self managed super fund to no, do you it. Don't need it. No. But there may be some restrictions as to what I can and can't buy and, yeah. and whatnot. Right. Yeah, but you know, it's then you know some things might be perfectly fine that you wanted to buy it within that thing, and then if it because they will list it online and not in their big uh, term sheets what they can and can't do, and then if that's suitable for you, then that might be the right vehicle opposed to a self managed super fund as a vehicle. There's also personal retail super accounts, which we alluded to before, um, where you have an option, and um, Ashwin mentioned them, they also can be named as wrap accounts. Um, or wrap, wrap. Wrap. Right. Um, super accounts, um, which there's, uh, there's a bunch of mainstream providers which provide a wrapper or an investment platform that allow retail or personal retail super accounts. And through those structures, you can also... Um, effectively manage your own superannuation or trading. Um, right. Typically, those accounts are linked to a, a financial advisor or an, or an institution, like an overseer kind of thing, like a, like a guardian. Yeah. Which and then there are restrictions in terms of the level of exposure between individual stocks that you can you know trade in. Right. Um, and it's just designed as a protecting mechanism for <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, individuals. Yeah, parent guardian. Hmm. My my advisor is looking out for me. Yeah. Right. But if <coughs> I guess to to your question, if you were Solely looking at listed equities, um, so public bank stocks, for example. Correct. Yeah. Um, and be it, you know, in Australia, or then there are some structures that allow international, um, you know, exposure as well, or buying of international equities and stocks. Then you don't need a self-managed super fund. Um, right. The self-managed super fund benefit kicks in where. Um, you know, you've got restrictions on some of those equities, and then let's just an example might yeah. be you have a fifteen percent cap on any one stock. Now, right. You know, there's diversification benefits in not having, you know, more exposure than that of your, yeah. and that's fifteen percent of your total superannuation superannuation balance in one stock. Um, outside of that, the self-managed super fund and <clears throat> Ashwin, from the accounting perspective, um, you'll have a bit to say about this, but you know, the opportunity kicks in where you can potentially buy property within a self-managed yeah, super fund. Yeah, sure. You can buy unlisted investments within a self-managed super Or if you qualify fund. as a wholesale investor, you can access those kind of funds. Yeah, which are right. wholesale or professional investor unlisted investments. Yeah, so. okay. That's pretty pretty good bit of content. I <laughs> hope that's useful. <laughs> good answer. <laughs> good question. <laughs> well, <clears throat> we, we get a question a lot in terms of, and you know, it's one that's probably Googled a bunch, how much money do you need in your super mm. in order to have a self-managed super fund? Um, I think the first question normally comes back to is, well, what do you actually want to invest in? Yeah. Or what do you want you to suit you? Sorry, what do you want to invest your super in? Is the first question because that really can drive the structure. Yeah. Um, then from a, a quantum or a value point of view, it really comes down to a cost benefit analysis. Then, like in terms of what's the cost of establishment yeah. and maintaining a self managed super fund versus a personal retail account or any other structure that you can get the same investment exposure. Yeah, personally, I feel that there's a lot of content on the internet that says you should have 200 grand otherwise to forget self-managed super fund, but they, they don't go really into detail about, well, there's a lot of other advantages of having a self-managed super fund that allows you to do other things. So while you may only have 50 or 100,000 in your super fund and you're conscious that there, there is going to be compliance and ongoing counting fees and whatnot, yeah. that may allow you to invest in things that you can't otherwise get to. Right, and there's, you know, and there's also a view that the the quantum within superannuation could drive the level of sophistication of you know the underlying investor, and therefore the person that's going to, 
that's going to be suitable to establish and maintain and be responsible for a self-managed super fund. Right. Sonny, 18-year-old me, fairly, you know, entrepreneurial, aspiring, you know, want to make some money or whatever. Um, as a independent sole trader, I didn't have a self-managed super fund or a super fund or anything. Um, so why would I not start a self-managed super fund from day, day one and, you know, start building my... Uh, super portfolio from there. I'll, I'll give think, you one word, Gareth, and it'll, and it'll be fees. Fees. So, fees. Um, the F the word, fees, the fees. The, <laughs> the, F, the F word, fees. So, look, uh, the fees would be substantial compared to the balance of your 18-year-old fund. Because there's and no money it in would, it because it's just started, right? Yeah, it'd be in a way if they, you know, you had insurance and other things. You, you would be going backwards very quickly and, and that's the last thing you want because the, the early years of your super are the, are the years that are the foundation for the growth in retirement. Right. So um, it so, wouldn't make sense to, to load yourself up on fees in the early days of your investment journey in super. So right. it'd so, be something you'll review it later on and go, well, this this current vehicle I'm not in is not suitable, which most people will, will face at some point in, in, in their life, lifestyle changes. And then... Then you'd weigh it up, like what like we discussed before. You've got the, you've got a, um, a managed retail fund, you've got a personal uh, managed, you've got an industry fund, and you can look at the self-managed option as, as the other one in there. And, and you'd see a financial advisor to see which structure makes sense to you. But I would, I wouldn't think it's feasible to start as SMSF at eighteen. It yeah. would just not make any sense on the. I, I mean, basis. what sort of fees are we talking, roughly? Like. Oh, well, it would depend on about, complexity, yeah, but as a baseline, Ashton, what would you ballpark that? Yeah, probably at least three to three and a half grand starting point, all up right. with auditors and accountants and everything else and set up. So if, I, so if yeah. I've got $10,000 in my super fund, that's 35%, right? Yeah, 35%. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so in, in three years, my $10,000 is now zero because I've got three lots of 3500 of fees. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, that's Fair. why there should be substantial amounts, and, and you should see an advisor before you set up a SMSF to make sure it is the right structure for you. So, guys, so what are you know? We've talked about some of the advantages and you know whatnot of a self-managed super fund. What would be some of the disadvantages of a self-managed super fund? Well, apart from the F word we used before, the fees, the F in fees, complexity. It's over the complexity of your investment. The the other disadvantage probably around um, the, the the onus of the trustees to keep the records and accounts up to date. So you know the common common things is obviously you have to send your documents into your accountant or preparing them yourself on a regular basis. So you can maintain your compliance super fund status. So, you know, the advantages of your industry funds or your managed funds or other APRA regulated funds is that they're all approved and uh, are managed by people to ensure the compliance exists. So it basically means you can continue to put your employment income in there. If a super fund hasn't maintained its, you know, tax returns on time, all of a sudden the HO will remove its status on the super fund lookup website and then your... Yeah. You know, your 10.5% contribution from your pay just gets bounced back and you're in limbo land of where you put it. Your employer is not happy going, where do I put it? Um, so then all of a sudden, a default fund's created and now you've got a new super fund because you hadn't maintained status or even worse, you failed to produce the reports up to date. The ATO now wants to do a formal review of the fund, check uh, documentation, so obviously more compliance costs involved in that. 
because it was on your account and then your auditor going to have to talk to the ATO to liaise through that process. And no doubt and then, there'll be a fee in there. So more, be a fee. more fees. More, more Fs. More, more Fs. Fs. Through, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then we'll get to, you know, maybe the super fund isn't the right structure for you because you, you can't meet that first test of, you know, trustees maintaining an obligation to keep the records up to date. So Right. And the I biggest that, disadvantage is the onus on the trustee. Yeah. But so, that's so what, what would you point. what would you say generally for paperwork for someone who's a self managed um, trustee? What what would they be up for for paperwork? Are we talking like an hour a week or a hundred hours a year or right. you know? It, 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 it depends on what they're doing, Gareth. So like you know, some people will have like you know, um, Sunny alluded to earlier. Some 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 clients will have a financial advisor that's actually looking after a fair chunk of what's going on in their self-managed super fund. So the reporting is actually managed by that person passing it on to the accountant or, or the advisors doing the work um, to prepare the work. So it all depends on the complexity of the fund and who, who they've engaged to help manage it. Because so it all comes back to the trustees and that's the key part with self-managers, that first part. The trustees decide who's doing what, and but ultimately they're responsible for it. So if they choose to trade themselves and maintain the records themselves or lodge their tax returns themselves, that, that they're entitled to do that, but they are, have to maintain it and, and keep it accurately and keep doing it. So you could uh, imagine if how long is a piece of string? Yeah. You right. could imagine if someone's trading on a publicly available platform um, to buy and from sell a major their bank. stocks from a major bank doing their day trading, um, the complexity and cost of administration is far greater than yeah, sure. using a, a managed fund or an advisor. Um, yeah, right. But I it just comes come, down to economies of scale, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and coming back to Ashwin's comment, I think it comes down to um, how onerous the compliance and regulation around a self-managed super fund is. As yeah, in right. There are very stringent and strict rules around what you can and can't do, mm. what you can and can't invest in, um, you know, and what you can buy and what you can do with your money and how much money you can put in and how much money you can take out. And, um, you know, there's lots to navigate there. So, um, you know, the first thing people typically will start out with an accountant for that process because you'd need one to set one up. And Mm -hmm. typically accountants won't set up a self-managed super fund these days without the the individuals having seen a financial advisor and got some advice around that. All right, so if I wanted to set up a self-managed super fund, do I go to my financial advisor? Do I go to an accountant? Do I need to see both of them? Can I do it on my own? What's the process? Look, I, th- I think given the complexity and risks involved with a self-managed super fund and whether one's suitable for you in the first place would be highly encouraged to seek financial advice. Right. Um, you know, whether it was suitable for you and whether your intention um, for your investment strategy makes sense for the structure itself. Right. Um, but there are alternatives. Okay. Yeah, I would uh, concur with Sonny on the basis that it's an important decision to make and you, you want to get a, a licensed professional to give you advice on, on, on what you're actually trying to achieve and make sure it is the right vehicle. But saying that, look, there are ways you can establish a fund um, on your on your own basis, but I think it, it, it's prudent on you to, to make sure it is the right step. And if you're investing your super money and you know, going by previous conversations, the significant amount of money that you'd have in, in your fund, you'd probably want to make sure you're doing the right thing and then follow through and then decide what you're doing from there. So, so it's a bit of peace of mind. I think it's a peace of mind to know that, hey, it is actually the right structure for you because 
you know, as, as we've discussed before, depending on what you're actually trying to invest in and other things you're trying to do, it could be another vehicle out there with a more cost-effective that will achieve the same result that you're trying to try and do yourself as a self-managed uh, trustee. So, I would right. say. And and so yeah. if I if I engage the financial advisor to make sure that my intentions were correct, do I then need an accountant to do the setup? Uh, look, sometimes it's the accountant. There are financial advisors out there that also set them up as well. Right. It, you know, it would it would be up to you. But you know, you'd still get you can you can engage a financial advisor just for that initial consultation to do the avenue, and then they'll 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 probably give you proposals on continuing, or um, or if you did it yourself and managed it yourself. So you know, most most advisors, it's one of the things. You know, when you when you go seek financial advice, it's actually. As a as a person, you know, you, you go and list out what you're actually trying to achieve out of it, and those questions you're asking me now are other questions you'd, you'd ask a financial advisor in your initial meetings, or for clarification around the the structured advice that they'll present to you at the end of your meeting. And right. they should go through the the pros and the cons of the of the structure. Yes, and, they should um, for you yeah. and how it relates to your personal circumstances. So, um, you know, having that objective opinion. Um, the professional objective opinion is, is probably worth its weight in gold. Right. And I think if you're you know, coming down to the risk, um, the complexities around a self-managed super fund, the importance of how you manage your superannuation and retirement savings into the future, um, you know, surrounding yourself with good quality advice through account, a good accountant and a good advisor um, you know, makes a lot of sense. Right. And if you're going to spend the money on the self-managed super fund itself, then those additional yep. costs should be negligible. Mm. Correct. So, 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 given our listeners are probably going to ask the next question is, well, do you recommend a financial advisor or an accountant? Obviously, we can't. What What should I look for? You know, do I go and Google financial advisor? You know, Sydney, or do I? You know, what What if I'm my intention is to start a self-managed super fund? I'm interested. I, I want to make sure I've got the right advice. What would be um, the, the recommended way to go about it? I would um, actually. I was just going to say I would start by educating yourself in the first place. Right. So, so read lots of SMSF make content and listen to all that podcast. <laughs> Very good, Sonny. Good answer, Sonny. That was a great segue, wasn't it? <laughs> we like that one. <laughs> an, un an unintended one, but uh... <laughs> all right. Step one: but, yeah. read our website from A to B. Good yeah. job. Or you know, and there's a lot of good um, content on ATO websites yep. and self managed super smart. fund associations yep. and you know other. Yep. Um, you know, other professional organisations that spend time day in, day out in self-managed super funds. So I'd educate yourself in the first instance and if you're still interested or, you know, in some cases not scared off from the process mm. after that initial piece of education and you assess yourself whether it makes sense, then go and get some financial advice around it. Um, and then at least you're going into that, you know, into that meeting or... Um, line of questioning armed with some knowledge. Right. Um, Are there particular firms that specialise in self-managed super funds or is it a general there, financial advisor? There, there, there will be some um, um, accountants that specialise in, in self-managed super funds. I suppose the things I would, I would ask about the accountants, obviously, you know, how many funds do they currently manage, what software or what sort of software do they use to maintain compliance, how does the process work with them, how, What's, what what is the level of you know um, engagement that they will have, and you know what can they help you with, and what can't they help you with, and, and, and make it very clear 
and having clear conversations with those people because then, you know, you're faced at times, you know, clients will ask you, can I do that? In, in, can I do this or can I do that? And it, you, you have to direct them in the right place to go because, you know, that that's the level of restrictions that exist in the industry. Um, so that's why a financial advisor with an accountant is, is typically preferred because you can have two people in the, in the clear pathway of, yeah, right. Know, so it's like your really team rather than having points. having the same conversation twice with two separate people. Correct. Right. And there's some there's some accountants that you know some accountants that aren't licensed can't give financial advice. Right. There are financial advisors that can't cover off on the full tax and establishment requirements. So right. either having a um, a collaborative um, team of you know independent Dependent advisors being, you know, an accountant that's separate to a financial advisor, or then having a group of advisors under the same umbrella, um, as in within the same firm, you've got an accountant and a financial advisor, can make sense as well. So, like, so in summary, like most things, do your own research. Make sure you, make sure you kind of know what you're asking. Go and go and go and meet with multiple people. I assume you know you you don't have to choose the first one, right? You no. know you can get three quotes and make sure you you know you um you've asked the right questions to both financial advisors and accountants. Mm-hmm. Is there anyone else that you know you should be involved? Any other humans? Uh, you know your financial advisor and then your accountant. Is is there another mm-hmm. another person that I should seek out? Well, there's there's, lawyer, leg, there's legal professionals, but they they're typically engaged as part of the process with the accountant. Right. Yeah. So. So a lot of the talk today, we've talked about the F in fees <laughs> involved in self-managed <laughs> yep. super funds. Um, obviously, with the word self-managed, there must be things that I can do myself to avoid fees um, because I'm self-managed and retired, and I've got nothing to do all day, and I'm sitting on the couch. So what can, what what are some of the things you think I might be able to do to help out my accountant or financial advisor yeah. and reduce their fees? You can't avoid fees, but you can reduce them, Gareth. Um, and uh, one of the ways probably around it is, is is the software. So software. Okay. Um, from, from, from an accountant's point of view, you know, there's, there's probably two two main types um, of online self managed super fund um, software, which helps prepare the accounts and um, prepare the tax work. And separate the member account in, in an effective way, um, and those platforms are um, cloud-based with integrations with multiple platforms. So depending on where you're trading your shares or you know purchases that way, or your bank account, right, you can actually direct feed those transactions ah, okay. into the accounting software, which will save time and processing time. So those are all the things you'd, you'd have a chat with your. Um, accountant or whoever's preparing your accounts to ensure that you're maximising the benefit there. So then all of a sudden, if you are, as something alluded to, you know, someone that's regularly trading, um, those transactions actually come in through on on the accountant side, so it makes their job easier because all they have to do is review it, opposed to enter it, transact, record it, balance it. It's actually saves a good, you know, probably 50% of the entry right. time. And if it's yeah, okay. a big volume um, of transactions, it'll make it a lot easier. If you're someone with a, you know, and, uh, you know, it could be a fund which is only term deposits, well, you know, there's probably not a huge lot you could do to reduce it because you, you enter the term deposit transactions, it's, it's worth the effort of entering those in manually as opposed to direct feeding it. So it all depends on what you're doing investment-wise. But if you're doing heavy investments and, and you're getting really large 
overseas. And there's nothing wrong every year having a conversation with your accountant to go, what what could be done better? And that's how I would, I would frame it around is what, what things could make it easier or, or is this, you know, where the fee, I've maximised my efficiency. Yeah, okay. Um, so and, I can always and, ask and that, the, my accountant and say, yeah. hey, you know, help me out here. You know, and they can point me in the right direction. And be mindful, there's, I was going to say, during the life cycle of the self-managed super fund, the complexity of what's required, you know, changes and can ebb and flow as well. So... Um, you know, in early days, you might be trading a lot or you might have a different investment structure, which accounts for a different level of recording and reporting, and therefore that comes with a particular fee structure. Right. Um, you know, at a latter stage, care and maintenance, if it if it ever goes into that, and some never do, but if it does, that should come at a different, you know, fee structure. Um you know, and you know, then you might find increased costs for a period of time when you're going through pension phase because there's lots right. of documentation and restructuring that happens there. So I think the most important thing to Ashwin's point is just engage in a conversation with, you know, your accountant or advisor around it. Cool. So we just talked about a condition of release. What is a condition of release? Retirement's uh, one. So yeah. yeah, retirement will be one. Um, <laughs> it could it could be a terminal medical condition, right? Uh, it could be incapacity or permanent incapacity. Um, like so hardship, it, hit by a car, or you know, run over, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, uh, it could be you know retirement, and you reach the preservation age um, of retirement. So right. depending on, on, on where that is, if you're 65, even if you haven't retired, you can access right. it then. Right. Preservation um, age set or, by your birth date. Yeah, by your birth date. So you've got to, you've got to look it up on, on the HO side. Okay. There, there, is a, there is a compassionate grounds, but you, you're probably right in uh, to confirm whether you can meet the compassionate grounds with the HO. Right. Uh, there is there's a, the only one, which is, you know, um, the first home owner's scheme, which is available for people buying their first home, but they have to have a first homeowner's scheme account in their super fund, um, right. which is a, another um, Sounds like another podcast topic. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that, that's probably... So so generally, the buying a boat is a no. You know, like it, a boat, it's, but, well, if you're 65, if you're 65, yeah, you can buy a boat. But then you can do whatever Take you like. Take money right? out what, what, boat. What, yeah. what, when, once yeah. you've hit the age limit, you can kind of do whatever you want, right? Yeah. yeah, once you yeah. hit 65, you pull the money out and you can buy a boat in your own name. Yeah. No, but no but if I was 40 um, and, you know, uh, lost my job or something like that and I was in financial hardship, then that might qualify. But if I just wanted to go on holiday or buy a new toy or whatever, that's a no. No. Yeah. That is, yep, that is the case. Makes sense. Personal so, use of funds or personal assets are a no. Can I borrow from my super fund? No, you only could borrow to purchase an asset for your super fund. Yeah, okay. Um, so, and, and it has to be a compliant asset. So if I, if I know that I'm having a win, you know, in a year and I can put the 50 grand back in my super fund, then I can't take it out now and put it back. No, no, no. Yeah, no. Okay. So, so that would be generally sounds fairly fairly um, regulated and fairly, you have to tick one of the boxes. Yeah. Fairly but being very regulated. Very regulated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think what people have to keep in mind is the self-managed super fund has the same um, conditions of release um, as other super funds. There's no, no, right. no difference. Yeah, that, that's that's, that's a good that. way of summarising it. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's no yeah. different to a normal 
super fund in that you you know it's not your money and that you can do willy-nilly what you like exactly. in your in your net bank um, because I have a self-managed super fund and I can transfer money in and out of my CBA bank account very quickly and easily so you have to be very yeah. careful with that right and and that that's where trustees have to be careful because hmm. the line is blurred instead of you know going through and calling your super fund or talking to your financial yeah. advisor that's managing your fund you have access to your fund and you can accidentally um, transfer money out of it like I did the, well I didn't do it but I nearly did so you do actually need yeah. a, bit of, a bit of attention yeah yeah, yeah. Well, hmm. mistakes will happen as long as they're rectified that, that's it but it can't be pulling out money hmm. to buy boats for yourself and, and other things that are blatantly ignoring the laws Make, that are in place sense. around yeah. super yeah. yeah okay and you know without opening a can of worms it's also important um, to remember cybersecurity risks and yeah, issues totally. when you've got that level of access to your your own superannuation yeah. funds. Yeah, absolutely. Ashwin, a, a question for you: what um, What sort of documentation uh, does someone with a self managed super fund need to prepare and collate in providing it to their accountant for uh, year end accounts and taxation? Uh, well, uh, from from just the account preparations. Side. Most commonly, it's obviously the main transactional account um, or any transactional account that they have. So all the source documentation around it. So actual bank statements in a in a PDF format, ideally. Um, as um, as you're aware, um, funds get audited, so the auditors can review that bank statement to ensure that the name on the account matches what we've prepared in the account. So the bank account um, would be one, so any bank accounts in the super fund. Then if there's any trading, any shares, purchases, so um, your, your contracts for sale and your transactions around those things. And then valuations around um, where things are. So they're listed, listed uh, investments, we, we will get those uh, valuations through the software we use um, and then or, or the software provided uh, Account, usually will have the valuations, but if there's any unlisted investments or or property out that you know directly owned, you know, just having all that documentation and all this, so whether it's the breakdown of the rental income or the summary of the valuations, all those things um, are, are the typical documents we require. But uh, most accountants will, will sit down with uh, with their clients either pre-meeting or um, during the collation of documentation, make a request of information to make it fairly straightforward for you to, to find the misinformation from you. But that's also a good point when the account will talk about what, what things could be automated to make the job easier next year as well. And to your question earlier, Gareth, around you know fees and how do you potentially reduce the fees mm. that are involved, I think it's the, the quality of the information that's Absolutely. prepared and how it's presented and, um, you know, to yeah. point, there's software that makes, you know, things data easier. feeds a whole lot more efficient and um, data collection, I should yeah, say. It's all about reducing the time, right? Yeah. Mm. So, and yep. if, if you put in a nice, neat little bow to your account, and I'm, I'm sure that uh, that um, is repaid in kind with uh, slightly reduced fee. I think the... Slightly <laughs> reduced. <laughs> yeah, keyword slightly. <laughs> the... Um, <laughs> You know, we, we've engaged financial advisors as well. There's um, annual reports and um, tax yeah. um, investment reports that will be provided, um, which there's I think there's normally interaction between financial advisors and accountants yeah. in, in that circumstance. Yeah, so if there's a financial advisor involved, they, they, they usually have a, 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 a breakdown of all the transactions for the year that we can, we can rely on to, to the transactions and to um, the accounting software 
and prepare a tax return and financials for each member. Cool. So um, one of the advantages that I kind of saw when I started looking at self-managed super funds was in typical sort of super land with a major, you know, as you said, get one from your employer um, area, um, my the timing of being able to buy investments was I couldn't control it because every quarter your employer pays into you into my super fund and then you know whatever the unit price is on the day um, you know that it, that it landed is when my you know super you know, um, investment went up or down or whatever um, whereas in a self-managed super fund uh, as far as I've understood it it seems to work for me is my employer um, can put the money into my uh, cash bank account uh, as they're regulated to do every quarter or whenever it is. But then I can then choose when I want to um, time my entry into the market. So, you know, in, in COVID time when the market was going you know south, uh, I could choose to buy a lot more in that time frame than, you know, in the July quarter when it all went back up again, for example. Is that, have I understood that advantage correctly? A little bit. Uh, because, look, you control your investments in, in the vehicles, right? So if you had a feeling COVID was happening, you could you could switch your investment strategy in your in your other fund vehicle into cash as well. Um, and you wouldn't have right. gone down. So you can then switch it back into whatever investment option you wanted to at a different stage. So... You still control investment strategy regardless of um, what happens. It just the level of splits or what direct investments you have is restricted far more in the other vehicles opposed to um, you know a self-managed fund. So it's more than a type of investments you can partake in a self-managed super fund opposed to the um, timing. Yeah, the timing. But, 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 but for example, I could you know in theory. Um, you know, twenty five thousand dollars a year, whatever the limit is, in my self managed super fund, I could save that up in my cash account uh, over a couple of years, and and I could just buy a stock here and there and when and whenever I would want. But to do that yeah. in a in a you know a non self managed super fund, I would have to be um, uh, moving cash between sorry move, moving investment strategies quite regularly I mean surely they you know is it is it instant you know do you click a button to do it or is there lots of paperwork involved there's there's still going to be an, yeah there's still going to be an implementation time frame with a an industry or a retail super yeah. fund a, a personal retail super account on the other hand can be as flexible as a self-managed super right. fund in terms of timing of trading but for what you can trade in, and we've yeah, covered those sure, yeah. structures in a, di- a mm. different podcast. Um, but you're right in the sense that if you're in a retail um, or an industry fund or a default fund, um, your investment selections are limited to whatever that particular structure has, mm. right? And typically they're implemented through managed funds. So right. if you've got a contribution going into your super and you've elected for that to be automatically invested at the time that it's landed, yeah. it would it would typically take a, a week or so for that to then to be filter in, through, filter to, through to the market. But coming to your specific point, the the timing around buying of individual equities within that strategy is then dependent on the fund manager and what the unit price right. of that fund is at the time is effectively going to be your buy price. Gotcha. Uh, so. And that can be sometimes vastly different 
than what's happening in the market that week or the gotcha. week before. Yeah. So I think in terms I think of time, it's one of those yeah. DIY ones. Yeah, yeah true. Yeah. Yep. But there are options where you can select in those alternative structures to have your funds in cash and then you can you can choose you can choose when you want to invest it, but there is a there is a lead and a lag. Yeah. yeah. And some paperwork involved. All right guys, thanks uh, thanks for another uh, very engaging and useful uh, podcast. Um, for those uh, if you're still listening listening to the boring Gareth voice at the end of the end of this <laughs> podcast, um, if you haven't already checked out the website, there is I don't know if there's hundreds of hours of content, but there is quite a lot of it because we've certainly been doing this for some time now. Uh, all very useful. Uh, hopefully you'll find it useful. If you like it, please share it. Please um, comment. It will encourage us to do more of this. Um, and of course, if you have any burning questions about self-managed super funds or you would like to be a guest on our podcast, um, please get in touch with us via our website, smsfmate.com.au. And then everyone, we can say goodbye. Thank you for joining us once again. If you're interested in our waffle about self-managed super funds, feel free to join us on smsfmate.com.au or search SMSF Mate in Spotify.